We know ball. We know ball. 82. We know ball episode 82. Welcome one. Welcome all. Welcome anybody and everybody from around the world. Appreciate you tuning in. If you are, we got a special sort of an addition episode, if you will, today. Weekend preview, late week episode. As it stands here on Friday, we got some news to talk about, some football action to discuss, not only on the field with the upcoming conference championship games, but off the field as well with some awards, some nominees, anything and everything in between. You want to talk sports, you want to talk ball, this is your spot, this is your show. We've got coaching hires, we've got award nominees, we've got games, actual football games to be played, so we're going to discuss all of that. Talk, I don't know, maybe a little bit of basketball. And we'll just actually touch on basketball here at the beginning. But uh, basketball. And then, believe it or not, we're going to be giving out some gambling picks. Yep, gambling picks. I swear. Don't believe me? Just wait. Giving out some picks for our the NFC and AFC Championship games this weekend. We'll preview those games before we give out those picks. But realistically... I could preview it. I could spend all the time in the world preparing some sort of long diatribe monologue about exactly how I believe. And then, you know, Chiefs and Ravens, and they're going to battle it out and go to overtime and high scoring. And then the final score will end up being uh, nine to seven, right? So that's how it goes. But ultimately, we're excited to talk about it. And we're not going to talk about a ton of basketball. Not going to talk about a ton of it. But I just wanted to touch on this quickly. So I've come across a couple of different guys on TikTok, on social media, in the world and in the realm of basketball. And there's been some recent developments going on in the last few weeks. You've got just in the last... Two calendar weeks, you've got Embiid with a 70-piece, Cat with a 50-piece, uh, or 50 or 40? Yeah, 50, I think. You've guys, you've got guys dropping 70 points in a game, 50 points in a game, 40 points in a game, you know, putting up crazy numbers. And then you come across some of these guys on TikTok and Twitter that I mentioned, social media guys that break down film and footage specifically in most cases defensive film and defensive footage in the NBA and my ultimate takeaway from those funny they're funny to a degree this one guy in particular I can't remember exactly the handle it's something along the lines of uh 
film session or film room session on TikTok. If you guys uh, haven't seen him, definitely be sure to go check him out. He's got a YouTube page as well. And it's funny because he's semi-hysterical in terms of he's screaming and yelling and doing whatever, but everything he's doing when he breaks down the film of these NBA teams and the defensive coverages and schemes that they're deciding to run, not only in transition, but half-court defense, zone, man-to-man, they're playing all kinds of different defenses, obviously, in the NBA. But defensive effectiveness and efficiency in the NBA a lot of times comes down to the scheme that the coach wants to implement. You also got to utilize the skills of the big, you know, the different sized guys on your team, the different abilities that they have. If you've got a team and a roster of bigger guys, you're obviously going to have a different defensive approach than teams with a bunch of smaller, scrappier guys. Maybe you got a combination. So you play what kind of your strengths and weaknesses are as is expected in the NBA. The problem is from these video uh, film room, you know, breakdowns of these defensive efforts and the defensive schemes in the NBA. My biggest takeaway is not that some teams are good at defense in the NBA and some teams are not good at defense or some coaches know how to coach defense and some coaches don't know how to coach defense. My biggest takeaway so far in the basketball season 2023 to 2024 is the same takeaway I've had my entire life. And that takeaway is college basketball is a better product than the NBA. It's a significantly better product. If you want to watch guys that play defense, play team-oriented basketball, have actual offensive and defensive schematic designed plays, passing, unselfish styles of basketball, smart decision-making, acting in the best interest of the team and trying to win basketball games, maximum effort on the defensive side of the ball, guys getting back in transition, you know, basketball. You'll find that in any high-level prime time top 25 matchup in college basketball if you turn on ESPN or you turn on the TV. If you turn on a top 25 game midweek college hoops, you're going to see guys flying all over the court, diving for the basketball, getting back in transition, smart passes, unselfish basketball. You watch the NBA, man. This guy's... It's... It's really... It's hard. And this doesn't go for every NBA team. It does not go for every NBA team. Because there's some guys and some teams, some coaches and some players, some rosters in the NBA that, that go all out. They play good defense. They get back. They play unselfish. They assist. But there's other players specifically and teams, coaches, organizations that are a hard, hard, hard watch in the NBA. The National Basketball Association. I mean, the product 
in the NBA has gotten so disparaging and so lackadaisical and so selfish. It makes it almost impossible to watch for people. And Bede scores 70. Okay. Oh, he took 46 shots? That's insane. What's going on? I'll tell you what's going on. He woke up. He showed up to the arena, had a decent shot going, and decided, I'm going to shoot the ball every other possession. I don't find that appealing. I don't think that's good basketball. In fact, I know it's not good basketball. Scoring 70, yeah, you know what? The team's probably going to win. I get it. You don't believe me. You don't think I'm the only one with this take? Ask the Minnesota Timberwolves head coach directly. Ask him. Carl Anthony Towns scored 50 points in a game. And the coach's first line of thought and answer to questions after the game was, we played a selfish brand of basketball all night because they lost the game. Carl Anthony Towns scored 50 and they lost the game. If that doesn't tell you where the NBA is in 2024, then I don't know what will. And that doesn't go for every single team. It doesn't go for every organization. It doesn't go for every single coaching staff because there's some teams, players, coaches that play and coach an unselfish brand of basketball, a hustle brand of basketball, smart brand, good defense, transition defense, finding the open guy on the offensive end of the floor. And then the other side of the NBA is the most unwatchable brand of basketball possibly imaginable. And Bede scores 70. Okay. But I guess the Sixers are going to win. How many shots did he take? Like 45? That's not cool. That's not fun to watch. Carl Anthony Towns scores 50. How'd the team do? They lost. Timberwolves head coach Chris Finch after the games is like, yeah, I, I don't know. Not really impressed with our team today. Reporter says, hey, coach, did you think Carl Anthony Towns was starting to chase a number there at the end of the game? He goes, yup. Not to mention, just go sit on your couch, turn on an NBA game, and I want you to tr try and watch the defensive effort. Just watch it. It's not there. Not every team, not every player. And understand it's a cardiovascular sport, sprinting up and down the court over and over and getting that. See, but that's what most people's excuses are. Most people's excuses for these NBA guys not playing defense, not getting back in transition. It's like, well, you try sprinting up and down the court all day. These guys are big men. It's a total. It's a, um, 
Okay, but I don't. I don't want to. I'm not going to because I don't get paid $50 million a year to play in the NBA. Like the brand and the state of the NBA and the sport itself had gone so far on the bad end of the spectrum that they had to start implementing and creating rules and referee calls to penalize guys for flopping. All the season of basketball has shown me so far, starting 2023 into 2024, is that college basketball is still a better product than the NBA. It's a significantly better product in terms of the effort you're going to see, the team-oriented basketball, the transition defense, the unselfish style of play, trying to win the game at all costs over stats, as opposed to the NBA where you turn on a game on it, you turn on a game on any given night, and one guy can just decide, you know what? I'm going to shoot the ball 40 times tonight. I'm going to chase a number. Defense, not only probably not going to happen, but definitely won't happen. How? It doesn't go for every team. It doesn't go for every coach. It doesn't go for every player. There's teams in the NBA that play really stout defense. Get back in transition. Unselfish handoffs, smart screens, getting around, stepping up and helping out, filling the lane, not being completely blind, not losing sight of the man and the coverage that you're supposed to have. I mean, there's so many different individual examples, and then there's obviously a million plays and possessions in every single basketball game. But very, very. I'll put it this way. The amount of open backdoor cuts I see in the NBA are guys just uncovered heading to the basket compared to a college game. It's got to be 70% more. And the college game, like in the game of basketball, it'll happen. Every game you got, I'd say in every college basketball game, you probably got eight possessions that ended a guy cutting open to the basket just from a defensive miscommunication a good move by a, a guy who's off the ball somewhere a good offensive scheme right good movement passing the ball efficiently boom guys open cut dunk cool in the nba that's like every fourth possession is some guy just open cutting to the basket or some guy like so wide open behind the three-point line so wide open And to me, I'd rather watch the college product of basketball than the NBA product at the current state that both of them are at. Now, if you told me it was a Nuggets and Celtics game, I'll turn that game on. Because I know the Nuggets are going to play an unselfish brand of basketball. I know Nikola Jokic, the best player in the world, is going to look the, to get the ball out of his hands primarily because that's going to help the team win. I know Marcus Smart's going to play good defense. Like, I know that's going to be potentially an entertaining type of basketball. But if you said, would you rather watch the 76ers and Joel Embiid 
against the Minnesota Timberwolves and Carl Anthony Towns, or, or, would you rather drive down the street and watch a bunch of random dudes you don't know play slow pitch softball? I might choose option two. Literally, option two. Because that's the state of the game. That's the state of the NBA right now. It is what it is, man. I just want to say the NBA, the defense, the, the selfish level, of this is just, it's just hard to watch. It's really hard to watch. All right, moving on to the NFL. So before we get into the coaching stuff and the games this weekend and the gambling picks, we're going to talk about these awards, these nominees, these guys, how we ended up with these finalists. Uh, you know, you got MVP award finalists, most valuable player, five finalists, Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, McCaffrey, Dak Prescott, and Brock Purdy. Somebody want to explain to me how we've got MVP finalists, and then we've also got offensive player of the year finalists. Is that not the same thing? And if it's not the same thing, then why do we have three guys in the Offensive Player of the Year category nominated who are also nominated for MVP, and then two guys nominated for Offensive Player of the Year that are not nominated for MVP? So Josh Allen is nominated for MVP, not Offensive Player of the Year. What position and what side of the ball does he play on? Offense. So is he not providing value on the offensive side of the ball? I'm going to go. Let's go ahead and bang offensive player of the year as a category. It's not a real thing. That's just creating a random thing. If you're going to be nominated for AP Most Valuable Player and then you're not nominated for Offensive Player of the Year and you're an offensive player, you automatically just can't win the MVP. Should be how it works. Brock Purdy, you're pretty good, man, but sorry, you're not going to win the MVP if you're nominated for MVP and not Offensive Player of the Year. I'm not really sure why that's a thing or how that's how that works. I also think with the MVP finalists, Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, McCaffrey, Dak Prescott, Brock Purdy, I know it's gotten a lot more traction this year than any other year, and I know the MVP is probably going to be Lamar Jackson, but it should be Christian McCaffrey. When the 49ers don't have Christian McCaffrey, their offensive efficiency and Brock Purdy's efficiency both go down drastically. And he doesn't play quarterback. To me, that shows how valuable he is as a non-quarterback player. Not that Lamar Jackson's not important. And I know, of course, when Lamar Jackson's not playing with the Ravens, he's injured or whatever, missing games. Of course, the Ravens aren't going to be as good. That's because he plays quarterback. But McCaffrey scoring a touchdown every single game, basically, 
I think Christian McCaffrey is the oil in the San Francisco 49ers offense. Whereas Lamar Jackson is the Ravens offense. Like they run the whole scheme around him. So to a degree, Lamar Jackson's going to put up numbers. Now he's a great player. He's a star. He's a freak athlete. He's a monster. All those things are true. But with the 49ers, they've got other options. Ayuk, Kittle, Debo. And even with all those other options for Brock Purdy to dish the ball out to, all those other guys for Shanahan to draw the offense up for, McCaffrey is the 49ers' offense. So to me, I would pick Christian McCaffrey as the MVP, but I think it's close. I think it's close. I understand the argument for Lamar Jackson. Brock Purdy should not be in there. Whatever. Defensive player of the year, Deron Bland. These are the nominees. Deron Bland, the Cowboys corner. Max Crosby, Raiders D end. Miles Garrett, the Browns D end. Micah Parsons, the Cowboys linebacker. And TJ Watt. Steelers. And then, yeah, Offensive Player of the Year, Tyree Kill, Lamar Jackson, CeeDee Lamb, McCaffrey, Prescott. <laughs> Interesting. AP Offensive Rookie of the Year, Jameer Gibbs, Sam Laporta, Puka, Bijan Robinson, CJ Stroud. I think it's going to be CJ Stroud, but all those guys are pretty nasty. That is a nasty group of players. Gibbs is nasty. Laporta is so sick at tight end. Puka was unbelievable this year. Bijan was limited from Arthur Smith's incompetence, but he will be a star in the NFL. And CJ Stroud's a freak. So that's a crazy group. Defensive rookie of the year, Will Anderson from the uh, Texans at the end. Jalen Carter from the Eagles, Joey Porter Jr., Steelers corner, Kobe Turner, the Rams tackle, and Devin Witherspoon on the Seahawks corner. Had a great year. Uh, comeback player of the year, Joe Flacco, DeMar Hamlin, Baker Mayfield, Matthew Stafford, Tua. Uh, I'm not really sure about Stafford and Tua. I think those two guys were just kind of like banged up last year. Uh, Baker had a pretty good year. I think it's down to Joe Flacco and DeMar Hamlin. I'm going to assume DeMar Hamlin ends up winning the award just based on the spectrum of the NFL. But I think Joe Flacco deserves it as well. I think Baker deserves it as well. But DeMar Hamlin, I mean, good story. And then uh, last two categories, I mean, there's assistant coach of the year who is a bunch of really star-studded guys seriously ben johnson mike mcdonald todd munkin two of them are ravens coaches offensive and defensive coordinator it's pretty funny jim schwartz the browns d coordinator and bobby slowick the texans offensive coordinator but head coach of the year or just ap coach of the year dan campbell john harbaugh D'Amico ryans kyle shanahan and kevin stefanski i don't think john harbaugh should be in consideration not that he's not a good coach 
Uh, but the Ravens are nasty. That roster is loaded. And he's a good coach. Shouldn't win it. Kyle Shanahan, same exact situation. Let's go ahead and bang the two Super Bowl favorites from the list. And then after that, D'Amico Ryans did a great job in Houston. Great job in Houston. Kevin Stefanski for the Browns. I think he should be third, but a close third. And I think that's because he had four different starting quarterbacks and he managed to go 12 and five. That's or 12 and six, 12 and six, 12 and five, 12 and five. That's crazy. Demico Ryan should be second because they played each other in the playoffs, the Texans and the Browns, and they beat the Browns. They also took D'Amico Ryan's took a rookie roster, basically rookie quarterback and rookie defensive uh, as a rookie head coach. Took him to the second round of the divisional round of the playoffs. Incredibly impressive. He's a star. Going to be a good, great head coach for years to come. He should be second. First place should be Dan Campbell. The Lions are what they are because of Dan Campbell. I think he should be AP coach of the year. I hope he's AP coach of the year. We'll see what happens. Excited for some of those awards. The other ones, I don't, you know, it is what it is. Moving on to co other coaching notes and considerations. So a bunch of coaching vacancies in the NFL. Most of them have been filled to this point. The ones that have not been filled include, I believe, the Seattle Seahawks. Well, going into the year, there were eight going into this coaching cycle. There were eight head coaching jobs. The Panthers, the Chargers, the Raiders, all of which dumped their head coach during the season at one point. And then the Falcons the Titans, the Commanders, the Patriots, and the Seahawks, all of which dumped their head coach after the season, except for the Seahawks, who didn't fire Pete Carroll. It was a mutually agreed for him to retire, basically, but like he's also not retiring. He's staying in the organization, so kind of a weird situation. Falcons dumped Arthur Smith. Titans fired uh, Mike Rabel. Commanders fired Ron Rivera. Patriots. They mutually agreed to part ways with Bill Belichick, but they kind of dumped him. They were over him. And then, yeah, Seahawks. So we go through some of these coaching hires here. Some of them have been filled. Some of them haven't. But the main ones have been filled. Seahawks are still looking for a guy. And who's the other team? I think we'll go through it. So the Falcons went. With Raheem Morris, he was the Rams head uh, Rams defensive coordinator. It's a good coach. Feel like that's kind of a we'll just go ahead and hire a smart, dependable guy who has a good track record as a coach in the NFL, and see where it takes us. The Panthers side signed Dave Canales. 
He is coming from the Bucks. Offensive coordinator for the Bucks had a good year, and the Panthers want Dave Canales. So, okay. Uh, Patriots go with Gerard Mayo, kind of an internal hire there. The Raiders go with, oh, the other team was the Raiders. Oh, wait, yeah, no. The Raiders, again, internally promoted and then hired Antonio Pierce. He was the interim head coach during the season and now the full-time head coach, so good for him. Players seem to love him. Uh, I think that'll end up working out. The Titans go with Brian Callahan, uh, Bengals offensive coordinator. Guy knows what he's doing to a degree. Uh, And then the Commanders... So it is the Seahawks and the Commanders are the two teams without head coaches at the moment. The last one is Harbaugh to the Chargers. Few takeaways there. Number one, good hire for the Chargers. John Harbaugh. Has a, I mean, he's the most, one of the most proven active current reasonably young head coaches available on the market in the entire sport of football. He's taken teams, NFL teams to the Super Bowl, didn't win, but took NFL teams to the Super Bowl, took college football teams to the playoff three times, including a national championship. He knows what it takes to win. He knows how to be a head coach at any level. He is an expert He is a mastermind at getting the collective to play as a collective. He knows what it takes to get a team whipped into shape and playing team-oriented football on both sides of the ball. He knows what it takes to win. He's done it over and over, and it's a good hire for the Chargers. Chargers. The Chargers were in desperate need of a dependable reliable, good track record, history of coaching type of guy for their organization to try to make themselves not the laughingstock of the NFL, which they seem to be just every single year. Every year. Every year the Chargers are good. Every year the Chargers have all these guys. Every year the Chargers are loaded, and they go 9-8. and eight. Or worse. Or worse. So with Harbaugh, I don't know what to expect. I know it's a little bit of a different scenario with just the Chargers and the kind of little brother syndrome in Los Angeles and the fact that they don't have a massive support fan base in Los Angeles. But they've got a loaded roster. They've got ownership that is all in on him. So he'll probably have a little bit more decision-making than maybe some other guys in the NFL in the head coaching position. I think it's ultimately going to work out for the Chargers. I think it'll be fine. I think the Chargers will be in the playoffs next year. But it's yet to be seen. The Chargers have that looming gray cloud over their heads that's hard to get out from underneath. It's hard. It doesn't matter who they bring in, who they draft, who they sign. They seem to just have the most untimely injuries, season-ending injuries, uh, horrendous one-score, three-point, last-second losses, overtime losses, devastating losses. 
Harbaugh is going to be able to mitigate some of that. However, I don't know how much because that's out of his control, to be honest. I do like the hire. I do think it's going to work out. But it's yet to be seen. Harbaugh to the Chargers. We'll see what happens. But that's where we are. Still have two more head coaching jobs to fill in Seattle and in D.C. We'll see what happens with those two jobs. <sighs> tough. It's, it's, it's tough when you're one of those teams and you can't. You just are maybe a little bit, you know, you're just one of the last teams to hire. Your, your, your list of guys gets, gets thin. It's really thin. So we'll see what happens. We've got two football games this weekend. Two football games. NFC and AFC championship. The first game on Sunday. AFC championship game. Kansas City Chiefs. Baltimore Ravens in Baltimore M&T Bank Stadium Baltimore Maryland How we doing The Chiefs 11 and 6 on the season 6 and 2 on the road. The Ravens 13 and 4 on the season, 6 and 3 at home. Ravens favored by 4, point total set at 44 and a half. 44 and a half. It's supposed to be about 50 degrees. All signs indicate weather will probably not be a factor. I think this is going to be a awesome football game. I think it's going to be wildly entertaining. I think both quarterbacks are going to go crazy. I think let's see. I think ultimately what this game is going to come down to, because it's going to be tight. It's going to be back and forth. It's going to be a one possession game, in my opinion, for most of the game. What it's going to come down to is the turnover battle and more specifically, the timeliness of the turnovers. And what I mean by that is Lamar Jackson, not that he's some turn turnover prone guy, or Patrick Mahomes, same situation. If they're going down the field or they're in the fourth quarter and it's a one possession game, and let's say the Ravens are up by seven. Mahomes is driving. He's taking the Chiefs down the field. He's moving the ball. He's completing passes. They're getting chunk plays on the ground. And it doesn't have to be Mahomes. It could be a Pacheco fumble. It could be a Kadarius Tony 
fumble, you know, like anything like that, turning the ball over. Baltimore is up seven. They can go down the field and score one more time, and this game's going to be over. It's going to be potentially a one costly mistake type game. This may be a game that comes down to the kicking game. This game may come down to Harrison Butker or Justin Tucker. And I also believe the Ravens and Chiefs game is going to be much more defensive oriented than people actually think. Two high-powered quarterbacks, high-powered offenses to a degree, right? The Chiefs have been, they've regressed a little bit this year in terms of offensive production. But both teams and both offensive schemes are capable of just gashing you and scoring points on a dime at any given moment. Lamar Jackson could break off a 70-yard run at any moment. The Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes could get down the field in three plays and score a touchdown if they wanted to. The Chiefs' defense this year is as good as it's ever been in the Andy Reid-Patrick Mahomes era in Kansas City. The Chiefs defense is going to attempt, not that they can do it consistently and successfully and turn it into a nothing, but they're going to attempt to limit the ability for Lamar Jackson to make an impact on the ground. I'm talking QB spy. I'm talking double QB spy. I'm talking end contain with linebacker gap coverage man to man so that we can get a guy or two focused on the backfield solely on the defensive side of the ball. Now that's not to say Lamar Jackson's obviously not a freak athlete. Can't break things open with his legs and make a couple guys miss. But if you're thinking Lamar Jackson's rushing yards on the gambling line, or you're just seeing what he's done in the last few games or against the Houston Texans last week, two rushing touchdowns, that's not going to happen this week against Kansas city. It's not going to happen. I'd argue, I'd say, and I'd estimate Lamar Jackson's going to run for somewhere in the 35 to 45 yard rushing yards bracket, under 50. He's going to have to beat the Chiefs in the air. They're going to have to protect Lamar Jackson. They're going to have to run the ball with their running backs effectively, both Gus Edwards and Justice Hill. They're going to have to utilize both tight ends. And my first prediction on top on that is Isaiah likely will score a touchdown. It's not included in my parlay or my gambling picks that I'm going to be giving out for this game, but Isaiah likely is going to score a touchdown. Lamar Jackson loves his tight ends. Mark Andrews is going to be coming back and he'll be available this week. Not full. I just, there's no way he's going to be at full health, but he will be rostered. He'll be active. You know, whatever you want to say, Isaiah likely is potentially going to get lost in coverage. They're going to draw up some red zone type play action, rollout type stuff where they're going to find Isaiah likely in the end zone to score a touchdown. I do believe that's going to happen this week. And I think ultimately it comes down to, Field goal play and whoever makes the least amount of mistakes. Field goal play. Kicking play. And whoever makes the least amount of mistakes. 
that could be when I say kicking play, that could be extra points. And it could also be long field goals. I think there's going to be a, a few 50 plus yarders in this game, probably two from Tucker, one from Butker, you know, and it's going to get down to a situation where it may end up being decided on the last play of the game by a longer field goal. Lamar plays well. The Chiefs also play well. They hit a couple of chunk plays. But I think the biggest factor in this game is going to be the Ravens defense. The Ravens defense given up like 17 points a game. That's crazy. I think they give up 21 points to the can. No. 21 isn't too much of an even number. I'm going to go 20 points. They're going to give up 20 points to the Kansas City offense. Two touchdowns, two field goals. That's higher than the average season total that the Ravens defense has given up, right? Because it's 16 or 17 points a game on defense. They're going to go over. It's going to be 20. Chiefs are going to score 20 points but I don't think it's going to be enough for them to win the game because Baltimore scores three touchdowns and a field goal. The final score, 24 to 20 Baltimore Ravens take down the Kansas city chiefs. It's going to be a good game. It's going to be an exciting game, a little bit more on the lower scoring end, just maybe for a little bit. I think things start to heat up in the second half, particularly in the fourth quarter. Teams are going to have to start taking a little bit more risk, a little more shots. Mahomes going to open it up a little bit more in the fourth quarter because they may be down by 10. You know, something where it's a two-score situation. I think the Ravens' defense ends up bowing their necks, and I think they get after Mahomes a little bit. Combine that with the fact that Mahomes has not played at his absolute best this entire season. He's turned it on a little bit in the postseason. He's played a lot better. Played really good last week against uh, Buffalo in terms of efficiency. Started to utilize Travis Kelsey a lot more. Rasheed Rice is a really good target. Isaiah Pacheco runs the ball really well. But the ability for the Ravens defense to almost essentially eliminate one factor of a team's offense on any given day, like last week it was getting after C.J. Stroud and eliminate eliminating the passing game, or at least the effectiveness of the passing game. That's demoralizing for an offensive team. So if the Ravens decide to come out and go, you know what? We are going to make sure Isaiah Pacheco doesn't gash us for any big chunk plays. We're going to fill the gaps. We're going to get after the backfield. Maybe they make a couple of early, you know, negative plays in terms of tackling Pacheco in the backfield. Forces Kansas City to depend on Patrick Mahomes. He's one of the few quarterbacks in the NFL that you can blatantly and openly just announce like we're going to depend on him, right, with the play calling. And he can still be effective. That being said, it's still not quite enough. I'm going to go 24-20 Ravens over the Chiefs with the Ravens defense being the biggest and most key factor. Pay attention to kicking in this game, long field goals. Pay attention to the turnover battle, late key turnovers, forcing balls a little bit too much. Chiefs have a horrendous, horrendous turnover ratio. And I think at the end of the day, that's the deciding factor. Turnover ratio, Ravens defense forcing a turnover. Long kicks, long field goals, Justin Tucker, Harrison Bucker. That's my prediction for this game. I think it'll be a, an awesome game. Awesome game. Uh, but it's going to be tight.
Next game to talk about. NFC Championship. Lions and 49ers. The Detroit Lions and the 49ers. This game's either going to be a one-score game, a field goal possession game, or the 49ers blow out the Lions. There's no other side of the spectrum in terms of the Lions potentially blowing out the 49ers. That's not going to happen. Sorry, Lions fans, but they just don't have that in the tank. The 49ers don't get blown out. It just doesn't happen. But the Lions can keep it close. The Lions can score. The Lions have offensive weapons. If anybody matches up with San Francisco in terms of the amount of dependable, reliable, consistent offensive weapons in the NFL, it is the Detroit Lions. David Montgomery, Jameer Gibbs, Josh Reynolds, Amon Ross St. Brown, Sam Laporta. Uh, I'm missing, guys. You get the point. I mean, obviously, Goff at quarterback. They can score points. Problem is, the Lions defense is not good. It's not good. They were bottom five in the league in passing yards allowed. They were bottom five in the league in defensive, defensive efficiency. They were able to turn the ball over a little bit, but I think ultimately the testament to where the defense stands for the Detroit Lions is in where the betting lines are in terms of the over-under. Set at 51 and a half. The other game, Kansas City and Baltimore, 46. This one's at 51. It's an extra touchdown. At one point in this game, we could look up in the second quarter and it could be 28 to 7 San Francisco. On the flip side, we could go into halftime and it could be 21-20 San Francisco. I think both of those are very realistic and both of those are possible. I think ultimately what the deciding factor in this game is just experience and it's maturity and it's decisiveness and it's dependability. And I think it's being able to rely on both sides of the ball to get their jobs done. And I think when it comes down to it, San Francisco can do that. The lions can't the lions can rely on their offense to potentially keep them in a game and score. The lions defense may not let them stay in the game. If Detroit turns the ball over once and it ends up returning, you know, uh, leading to an offensive score for San Francisco or a pick six or a fumble scoop and score. If Detroit gets down by two touchdowns at any point in this game, I believe it'll be over. Now, it doesn't mean, you know, get down 28, uh, 21, seven. Detroit will come back and score, make it 21, 14, but they won't close the gap above that because the, the Detroit defense is just, it's not quite good enough. San Francisco did not look good last week. 
against the Green Bay Packers. I believe that had more to do with the fact that San Francisco took two weeks off. They were the number one seed, had a ton of pressure. Rock Purdy's inexperienced in the postseason, younger guy. Debo Samuel got hurt in that game. Jordan Love was on a hot streak. You know, I think the 49ers weren't prepared for what the Green Bay Packers had schematically prepared for that. The Lions, you know what you're going to get. You know you're going to get pass heavy, but also you know you're going to have, you know, if it's David Montgomery in the backfield, it's going to be a carry. If it's Jameer Gibbs, probably going to air it out. Laporte is reliable. Amon Ross St. Brown is reliable. I think the 49ers ultimately just a little bit more talented, more disciplined, better defense, more reliable on both sides of the ball. If San Francisco can't really get it going offensively, they can rely on their defense to keep them in the game. They can rely on potentially a turnover. They can rely on Kyle Shanahan drawing up a defensive scheme that's going to eliminate one or two of those offensive assets for Detroit. Oh, we didn't score. Oh, we went three and out. Oh, we haven't scored in back-to-back possessions. Well, doesn't matter. We are eliminating the run game. Or we are getting after Jared Goff in the backfield, thus eliminating the passing game. Like, San Francisco has those capabilities. I mean, Bosa... Chase Young, Fred Warner, like they, they'll get after the quarterback. And I think if Detroit can't keep up with them offensively and can't score consistently, this game might get ugly. My final score prediction for this game, San Francisco 28, Detroit 17. That's my final score prediction. I think the 49ers will score a few times. Go ahead and just chalk in a Christian McCaffrey touchdown because that's almost a guarantee. And yeah, I think that's what it's going to be. I think that's how it's going to end up. And I think it's going to be an exciting game. And I think ultimately you get the two favorites in the Super Bowl, San Francisco and Baltimore. I mean, could have called this from the early parts of the year. Just all he had to do was look at the Super Bowl logo, right? <laughs> but San Francisco wins 28-17. The Ravens win 24-20. Both those teams go to the Super Bowl. It'll be a good Super Bowl matchup. I'm hoping the Detroit Lions win. I like the storyline a lot better than San Francisco. They haven't been to a Super Bowl. I think it'd be awesome for Detroit to get in. So I'm hoping for that. But my my most accurate prediction is going to be San Francisco 28, Detroit Lions 17. I think that's how it's going to go. And we'll see what happens. Excited for it. AFC NFC Championship with a ride to the Super Bowl on the line. On the line. Good luck. Good luck to both of those teams. Last but not least here, guys, we are going to build a parlay. We're going to build a parlay of some gambling picks that will go pretty well, in my opinion, this weekend. See what happens. Probably nothing's going to come close to hitting. We'll probably be screwed. But as we sit here and log into DraftKings, we're going to go to the NFL. We're going to go to uh, this game. 
can you please get this out of my face? Ravens and Chiefs, same game parlay. And we're going to build what we believe to be the best same, the best, the best set of picks you can find for conference championship weekend in the NFL. Starting with the Chiefs and the Ravens, head over to scoring props and check out total touchdowns in the game. No. The scoring props. Ravens and Chiefs. Prop number one. Each team to score one touchdown and one field goal. That is absolutely unequivocally going to happen. Both teams have played stellar defense. Both teams are going to bow their neck at least one possession on each side of the ball defensively, force the other team to kick a field goal. Justin Tucker's super reliable. Harrison Bucker incredibly reliable that's a field goal for each team combine that with the fact that both teams can score touchdowns are going to score touchdowns and these don't have to be offensive only these could be pick sixes these could be special teams touchdowns i love each team to score a touchdown and a field goal as the first leg this weekend other leg i love i love Baltimore Ravens team total touchdowns over two and a half. Now, I love this one for a number of different reasons, but primarily because, again, this doesn't have to be only offensive touchdowns. The Ravens could score three touchdowns in any variety of ways, including a Patrick Mahomes pass over the middle to Kadarius Tony that will get tipped in the air, caught by one of the Ravens defenders, and taken the other direction for a touchdown. It could happen that quickly, and it could be one touchdown. Lamar Jackson's dynamic. Lamar Jackson can use his legs. Mark Andrews is coming back for the Ravens. They are going to score three touchdowns in this game. I would be shocked if it didn't happen, and I'm including it in the bet slip, so over two and a half team total touchdowns. The other game in the NFC Championship offers a variety of options between two teams that could definitely score points on any given Sunday. I also absolutely love the Detroit Lions team total touchdowns over two and a half. The Lions are the only other team in the NFL that can match up weapons-wise offensively with the San Francisco 49ers. These also don't have to only be offensive touchdowns, but 
If the Green Bay Packers scored three touchdowns against the 49ers last week, the Detroit Lions are a significantly better offensive team in terms of availability and weapons and guys they have at their disposal than the Green Bay Packers. So if the Packers could score three, the Lions can definitely score three touchdowns. And I apologize for the lengthy pause in this situation. I am trying to find the other piece here. There it is. And I got to add one more here uh, for the race to and the halves. Scoring props. The last pick I'd like to include is both teams to score in the fourth quarter. I think this game will start to get a little bit frisky. I think a ton of these guys are going to start scoring. They're going to get into a little bit of a panic mode. And both teams just have to score any points in the fourth quarter between the Lions and 49ers. That could be field goals, literally safeties, anything and everything you could possibly imagine. And the fourth quarter is when shit hits the fan. It's go time. It's crunch time. Both teams have high-powered offenses. The 49ers can score at any moment. And I think the Lions will be losing going into the fourth quarter, so they're going to be in a bit of a desperation mode. They're going to try to get some points as quickly as they can, so both teams to score in the fourth quarter. The final bet slip is as follows. Two picks in the first game, two picks in the second game. Each team to score a touchdown and a field goal between the Chiefs and the Ravens. Over two and a half for Ravens team total touchdowns. Over two and a half for Lions team total touchdowns. And between the Lions and 49ers, both teams to score in the fourth quarter. This is a four-leg parlay at about five to one payout plus 489. I'm going to put a unit on this. I'm going to let this play out. I'm going to collect my winnings after the weekend is over because I think this is as good of a parlay as you're going to find. So that's going to do it. Episode 82. And again, apologies for the lengthy pause there as I was trying to get some tech, tech stuff figured out. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Greatly appreciate you guys tuning in as usual. Again, at Ryan Knows Ball is my handle on TikTok, at We Know Ball Sports, Instagram, TikTok. Check us out on YouTube. We got all kinds of different stuff all over social media. Hopefully, you guys enjoyed this episode. Hopefully, you guys enjoy Conference Championship Weekend. We'll see what happens. Excited for it. Should be a great time. 
sit your ass down on the couch on Sunday, watch some football, and enjoy yourselves. Uh, we'll catch you guys next week. Good luck with your bets. Good luck with everything else. We'll see you guys next week.